everyone, and welcome to another Conversation at Olive. Today we're joined by John Huff, our Minister of Education, Ethan Jago, our Director of College, and Carson Wendell, our Minister to Middle School Students, as well as Andrea Mendoza, to talk about the importance of asking good questions. Let's kick it off. Hey, I'm John Huff, Minister of Education here at Olive Baptist Church. I'm sitting here with Carson, Andrea, and Ethan Jago, and we're going to talk about how to ask good questions in Bible study. We're in a training season here at Olive with our connection groups, and uh, we really just want to be the best that we can as teachers. Uh, Traditionally, we've kind of had a lecture model, but we're trying to move that to a conversational uh, aspect of teaching where we learn together, but there's still a moderator that leads in truth and corrects error when it arises. But in order to do that, you have to know how to ask good questions. So I wanted to get together with some of our team and just talk about how do we ask those questions. Um, Ethan Jago here teaches in our college ministry, and we've talked a little bit just about our preference. Myself, I, I like to teach, ask a question, kick it into groups, let them discuss, and then kind of collectively we walk through the answers to that, and the moderator can help answer anything that might come up or correct any error. Ethan does it a little bit differently in college. How, how do you like to ask questions in college ministry and Crossroads? So I think the way that we used to do this was we would teach through the curriculum, and then you would just ask the discussion questions. And what we as a whole uh, saw happen is no one would respond. An individual would ask a question, And it would just be this awkward silence and you would just look into the audience and you would feel stupid because no one was asking or answering your question. And that that's happened for several months. And I'm sure a lot of different individuals can relate to that is you just ask a question and maybe the question was awkwardly phrased. Maybe you didn't even understand what the question is really trying to ask. So what we did was we slowly moved away from that. And what we do now is we do a general overview of teaching about maybe 10 to 15 minutes tops. You know, we split into two groups, much smaller groups, because what we've realized is in the larger discussions, I don't think people want to contribute much because they're scared that they may say the wrong thing. They're scared that they may say mm-hmm. something that is against what's happening. So when we broke into small groups, guys and girls, we have had a lot more interaction with that. And so we've we've split it at College Young Pros into guys and girls. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been pretty successful. Yeah, You know, we both talked about splitting into groups. So the assumption is you have a group that is maybe more than 15 or even 12, and you're breaking that into even smaller groups to have discussion. Uh, We do have some larger connection groups here, uh, one that's up over 100, uh, somewhere in that 30 to 40 range. And really, that gets really big for discussion. So I would encourage you, Ethan just encouraged you, um, break that up a little bit for discussion. Let people talk among themselves and then get that feedback, or as Ethan does, teach it and then kick it to those groups so that they can walk through it. But Ethan did mention the silence. Uh, college, it's probably, you're probably more apt to silence there than in some groups. Uh, some of our men's groups, there is no silence in those rooms. Um, but silence is a reality when you ask questions in, in the classroom. And it's something we cannot be afraid of. Um, sometimes you just let a question hang out there and let people process it and, and then maybe call on someone in particular. That, that's a great time to have a cup of coffee in your hand, take a sip, sit back. But I think new teachers are often very intimidated uh, by silence. Um, but that's just one aspect of it. There's so much more. And let's just kind of walk through maybe the beginning of class. So you come in, 
Carson, you want to capture their attention. You've got middle school. You have to do this. But the reality is every teacher has to keep the attention of the room. Uh, if we think if we have an adult classroom that we can just teach the material without trying to keep their attention, we're going to lose them. People are going to sleep. They're going to zone out at times and you need to bring them back in. What are some of the things that you like to do to capture their attention early uh, or maintain that throughout? Yeah. So, you know, first off, we usually have the teacher kind of just ask the students question about their week because um, they like to talk and it kind of gives them an outlet just to go ahead and uh, begin talking, kind of get maybe some of that wordiness out of them. Uh, and so it's just simple like, hey, man, how's your, what's, what's the best thing that happened to you this week? Uh, just to kind of get the students talking, get them comfortable. Uh, and then we kind of do a hook question. I know like our curriculum uh, at the beginning has a uh, has several different questions that you begin with that kind of springboard into what uh, the lesson's about. And so that's kind of the way we do it. And so uh, just kind of get them talking uh, just about something just normal. Uh, how their week was, what they do at school, uh, and then kind of spring that question on them, get them thinking about, okay, here's where the lesson's going. Mm -hmm. uh, and then so that's kind of how we hook them into the lesson. Okay, talk to me about that for a minute. Um, when I'm teaching, I prefer if we're opening in prayer for the director or someone to do that at the beginning, but then I want to get people talking. And I'll usually start with something really easy, something relevant to the week or to culture, and then kind of escalate the risk of the question, get into those harder questions. But I figure if I can get them talking in the introduction, it's a lot easier to get them talking later on. Um, I don't know if you've seen that as well, but uh, what's kind of your approach, Ethan or Andrea, asking questions during that introduction? So that's a really good way to transition from when you're, I mean, what you're talking about in escalation of risk is going from something what Carson said is a great way to get the juices flowing, right? And then as you're asking those questions and you, you make that transition, one, it's got to be a natural transition because you've got to think about this. Education is all about psychology. I mean, when you're developing test curriculum and everything else, you have to think about the psychology behind the individual or the learner, if you will. So if your question doesn't make sense, that transition's not going to happen. Or if your transition doesn't make sense, then that question's not going to happen. So when you do make that transition, start off with easy easier questions and then lead into that more, I guess you could say, difficult mm -hmm. question. And um, one thing that we've seen at Crossroads is when we split into the different groups, um, I've heard a lot, so I'm always with the guys and then the women are over on the other side, is we tailor the questions specifically from the big questions that we have for the group that we're breaking them down into. And Andre, would you say that when the women uh, are sitting around talking about the questions, they understand what is actually being asked in that question. For sure, for sure. So I think it's really, they're more comfortable with the setting and whenever you tailor the question specifically to that group in mind, it keeps like, if they start the conversation already like early on, then they're already going to be more comfortable continuing into conversation and they, they understand the question, they wanna dive in further and ask deeper questions. So you're saying splitting up by gender has been successful in college. Definitely that's a, for the that's college. probably true with our other classes as well. Um, there's all kinds of ways you can split up, but that's probably wise to vary the way you split up too. Well, if you think about it too, I mean, the way that men and women process information are very different. Uh, granted, I'm not saying that we process the Bible differently. I'm just saying the way that we process information are, is differently. So when I write the questions, I write them for my leaders. I pass them to the leaders and I give them the flexibility to adjust this into your own language for what makes sense in your mind. So 
I could ask a question that in my mind I think makes sense, but then I ask someone like Andrea and she'll be tracking a completely different mm -hmm. line of logic. But if I give Andrea some questions, she's going to see that, look at the passage of scripture and say, okay, this is what we're saying. And then the other thing too that we see in these groups is each question builds off of the previous question. So question one is dealing with the birth of Jesus, right? And then question two would be dealing with who was Jesus's parents, and then you move on from there. It needs to have a logical sequential movement, um, which some of our curriculum has great ways for that. But my encouragement too, and I I'm curious on what everyone's thought process is with this, is making your own discussion questions out of the ones that were given, mm -hmm. but tailor it to your audience. Yeah, I think for us, it's you know, you need to be familiar with the discussion guide. Mm -hmm. um, but there are a lot of times that I'll even change the wording. Um, and sometimes I'll just throw a question out and put a, a question I think maybe would hit better yeah. uh, in place of those. Uh, and it's just kind of is guided towards, you know, sixth grade boys or eighth grade girls. And so uh, you just kind of have to you have to kind of tailor make that for the people that you're teaching. And so uh, be familiar with the guide because no one wants to just have someone read the question. Like you want to know these questions beforehand. And a lot of times I'll change the wording of them. Yeah. Uh, I know uh, I love Lifeway. I love the curriculum, but sometimes their wording for me uh, just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so it's like, what can I do to simplify this, but not lose the meaning of the question? So you mentioned Lifeway. We use almost 80% is on Explore the Bible right now. And with that, it comes with that guide and then a quick source. And between the guide and the quick source, you have multiple questions for every point. I would say if you don't know what to do and you're not used to teaching in this format, pick the question you like and use it. Uh, but the reality is sometimes the question doesn't fit the context of your group and you have to change it. Um, so the bottom line is plan ahead. The, the same way that you plan a lesson, it's just as important or maybe more important that we plan our questions. Uh, we're trying to build a conversational community. And sometimes we think, I don't have to prep as much because I'm going to have other people discuss and talk with me. The reality is you have to plan just as much or more because you are planning out questions. And Ethan talked about transitions as well. So let me let me pose something. Let's do a practical application here real quick. So I was preparing this week for this weekend's discussion question. So uh, this week, uh, session six in Luke, it's uh, dealing with Luke 3, 7 uh, through 18. So I'm just going to read one verse. I'm going to ask a question, but I'm asking it two different ways. And you guys tell me which way makes more sense. Luke 3, 7 says, He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Here's how typically people ask questions. What is this passage saying? Now, here's another way of asking that question. Who is John talking to when he is calling them vipers, and why is he using such harsh language? So when you ask it that second way, I hope you guys see, the first way is very open-ended, and it just leaves you like, I don't know, hanging? Because you're like, uh, yeah. well, I think it's also open to kind of interpretation too. Um, you know, those who don't, you know, maybe you've kind of just heard a few words from the Bible We'll say, oh, well, I think it means this, and I think it means this, and we need to kind of stay away from that because we want to yeah. teach the truth, and so we want to make sure that we do ask very pointed, open-end questions. Uh, we don't want the simple yes or no, but we do want to ask questions that, hey, like, uh, that point them back to the truth of Scripture and stay on topic there. And, and you must correct error. Absolutely. Uh, often we'll see, you know, what is the, I believe what this passage means to me, fill in the blank, <laughs> Um I don't really care what the passage means to you. Right. We want to get to the bottom of what the passage means. And yes, we want people to contribute and even flesh things out that may be wrong. That's okay. They're thinking out loud. They're processing. 
but somebody's got to be on the line to correct that thing if it's wrong. And that's, that's where we come in as teachers. And I see that a lot in middle school is that these kids are just, they're really kind of developing for the first time this, you know, this biblical worldview and says they're working through this. Like I see their minds clicking through it, but they don't always have the right answer. And so that's when I step in and say, okay, like you're, you're kind of on the right track, but let me, let's go back to what the word says and let's get you, you know, on the solid uh, foundation there. We'll, we'll come back to what questions not to ask. But let's deal with that like heresy comes up and um, you're in a classroom, any of you, and and you hear someone say, well, I I think this passage means to me. And and then some type of self-reflective, something that they've learned about themselves. okay, and they want to act on that. The scripture is not talking about that. Maybe it refers back to Christ in this passage or whatever. How do you handle heresy when you hear it? You, You hear something that maybe undermines the deity of Christ. Or uh, probably more often I've heard uh, doubts the authority of Scripture. What do you do with that? How do you respond to someone who says, well, I think this means such and such, and it's just biblically inaccurate? I think the Bible kind of gives us a very clear answer on that. So it gives us twofold. One, how to uh, respond to that notion of thinking, and then two, the way in which you approach it. So 2 Peter 1.20 says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Uh, And so what we have to look at is historical facts in the way that the church fathers, in the way that our ancestors, if you will, going all the way back to the apostles, is there's only one one interpretation, but there's many applications and implications. The way we approach that, I believe, is we find in 1 Peter 3.15, we're supposed to do this with gentleness humbleness and respect. So what would you say? How, how, Carson, how would you respond in gentleness and respect without just going wrong yeah, and it, moving on? Yeah, it's easier you, if you just say wrong, though. Yeah, it is. It's more fun, <laughs> probably. Yeah, but you don't want to squash because they're, they're, they're trying they to... They will never answer yeah, again like if you they, completely they squash wanna, like They want to give a right answer. They mm-hmm. just don't know. And so you do say, okay, well, here, let's go back to what God's Word says. Let's look at this and really what it means. Uh, and so you just you correct them with Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't try to correct them out of your own knowledge. You just go back and say, this is what the Word of God says. Um, like I understand where you're coming from, and you kind of help them see mm-hmm. where their view is is wrong. Right. Uh, but you do it in a loving way. Is I'm not going to call you out and say, "Man, you're, you're a terrible person for for saying that." But we just want to help them say, "No, this is what God's word says," and because of you know God's word is true, like this is mm-hmm. what we believe, and you just do it in a loving way. Yeah, yeah you don't want to embarrass them. Like even yeah. in my own personal like discipleship groups, when you're correcting someone, you need to like, like Carson said, do it gently because like you don't want to scare them away from answering next time. So as long as you're like doing it with love and gentleness, and the, they'll be more willing to answer next time, even though they answered it correctly this first time. Andrea, have you ever seen me embarrass someone in a group that I'm teaching? Uh, probably. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure. Definitely. <laughs> well, so this past Sunday. I don't know if you remember, Andrea, someone asked, we opened it up. We were talking about a specific section of scripture and someone asked, I asked a question. They responded with a negative answer mm-hmm. and it was an overtly wrong negative answer. And it, it's tough because at that point in time, when it's a quick question, quick answer, you don't have the time yeah. to unpack delicacy and gentleness. So I just said, well, no, what I was looking for is this. Yeah. So. It, sometimes you will find yourself in a situation, though, where you have to correct error, but you you don't have the time to be like, hey, you know what, Carson, man, I really appreciate you like leaning into this and giving it a shot. That's not it. Let me show you why. Sometimes, though, and I think this is an encouragement to everybody. It's like, hey, there is a time in which like you may have to be a little shorter, not in attitude wise, but in your answer and response. Like, well, not really, but this is what it is. 
uh, what you're talking about maybe is dealing with something else. And because you are dealing with people's emotions and you are dealing with people's feelings, but we can't do that at the cost and, uh, you know, misinterpretation of the of the text. Now, it's, it's hard in a group setting, too, when that happens, because now you've got all these other people involved and they're kind of hearing both sides. And mm-hmm. so you do kind of, hey, no, that's that's not right. And then maybe right. that's a conversation you have with them. You know, outside of right. outside of the classroom, because you you don't want to have other you know the other people hearing everything. Uh, so I'm yeah. about to bring something Go up that you, you just triggered Go in my head. It. You also get the individual with that, like you just said. There's two points of view of the stump the chump individual within that group that comes up. So Carson, how do you handle that when you say something, someone answers you, and you say no, that's not necessarily correct? Because as the teacher, I don't have the affordability to sit there and immediately Google what someone else said. So it's all in my preparation. So what do you do if someone's like, well, Carson, I think you're misunderstanding this and they put it back onto you? Because I've seen this happen. This has happened to me several times. They're sitting there sharp shooting you from the <laughs> from the group. Yeah. How do you well, respond to and that? It's one of those things like you and that we did talk about you want to be prepared. Like mm-hmm. you want to know you want to know what you what you're saying. You want to know everything behind it. Uh, man, a lot of times when that happens to me, I'm like, I don't know. Let me get back to you. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I will go, I will do everything I can to find out. And so don't don't be afraid to say, Absolutely. look, I don't know. Let me let me go find an answer. Uh, we do want to try to be prepared as best we can. So when those questions come, we know it. Uh, but you're going to have those people that they just, whoop, here you well, go. You're like, I have no idea what that even means. Uh, and so just be gracious with them and say, hey, let me go look and find out and let me get back with you. Mm-hmm. When in doubt, don't make it up. There you go. Come back Absolutely. to them. Well, I and I, I say that because I think that's great advice. And I knew to ask you that because I knew that's how you were going to respond is an encouragement for the teachers too, John, is like, you're not going to be able to have all of the answers because there are times right. that the questions will get flipped back onto you. So how do you respond to that? Because a lot of times you feel that pressure up there speaking and everyone's looking at you like you will have all of the answers. Right. I'm sorry. There's no way. All right. We talked about transitions. Help, help me transition. Somebody speaks error. You're going to correct it with scripture. Um, but what are some things you say just to kind of help do that in meekness and love and gentleness instead of the wrong? Uh, I know sometimes if I'm teaching and I have the time, get a wrong answer, I'll let someone else answer. Like instead of just shooting them down right there, I, I will allow someone else to answer. And a lot of times it'll be corrected in the room, hopefully in love. If not, you got to kind of <laughs> squash that, right? Make sure it is in love. But sometimes you can correct that without immediately responding to whoever's given that answer. Anything else that you would say, you know, is a, a good transition to help you get out of just a, a wrong answer? I know Ethan said, well, here, this is what I believe that Scripture says and take them back to Scripture, which we must do every time. But any other tricks that you guys use sometimes? Well, what you said is I love to do. Someone says something wrong, then I'll turn it back. Well, what what do you guys think? Mm-hmm. Do you think that's – is that kind of what we're arriving at? But that's dangerous because I've done that before. Yeah. And everyone else is like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, man, I just walked myself into a corner with this. <laughs> and so now I got to kind of pull myself back out. And so let's just right. say that that did happen. And I said, what do you guys think? And they don't correct it like you're saying. And most of the time they will. Right. Then I'll say, okay, guys, let's look at the question and let's look at this answer. And then I, I truly just compare it and go right back to the text. I mean – the text you can't argue with. Mm-hmm. You can argue with my opinion. You can argue with your opinion. But ultimately, if we go back to the source of our truth, I don't see much wiggle room for that. So the way I transition is 
I'll either just breeze over it if they say the wrong answer or like if it's a yes or no question, you know, how many loaves of fish? 16, five, yes. So what we're talking about here is, you know, and you just, you, you just kind of skip over it. So that way they're thinking too, oh, shoot, I didn't mean to say that. And it gives them time. And usually what happens is I'll redress it again later. And then they'll say the right answer. Because you know how it gets when you get put mm -hmm. on the spot like that? And you just blurt something out like, oh, man, I wish I could just control out delete and then redo that one. But So we've got, we've got bad answers. Um, what about, what are some bad questions? What, what are questions that you, you know you've asked them, you ask the question, and you get a one-word reply? Or maybe you just went somewhere you should not have gone. But let's just talk for a second. What are bad ways to come up with questions or bad questions that get you bad answers? I think I think for me, and I, you know, I've tried to not do this anymore because I've realized how kind of bad it is. Uh, but it's that fishing for an answer. Uh, like we have a specific question. There's one specific answer, uh -huh. yeah. and you ask it, and you get so and so saying, "Well, this," and you're like, "No, not quite." Um, you know, I, in my previous church, I was doing the children's sermon. And I said, hey, all right, guys, what's the three-letter word that starts with S, thinking all of them are going to say sin, right? Well, one boy goes, salvation. And I was like, no. Wrong. I mean, that's not even close. You know what I mean? And Heather was like, you shouldn't do that. Like, he was like five. I was like, well, he was wrong. <laughs> and I didn't know how to correct that then. Um, but a lot of times what I found when you, when you do that fishing for an answer is that um, kids – they're saying wrong answers. You finally get the right one, and like balloons fall down. You're like, yes, that's what I was looking for, and it discourages mm -hmm. everyone else from answering questions because they're now like, well, I've, I've already given wrong answers. I don't want to do that again and think and have people think I'm not smart. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would avoid those questions. I've done it before, um, but I, I try to avoid those now just because I want people to to be actively engaged in mm -hmm. the discussion. Uh, so I would say avoid those, like just fishing for questions. There's one answer that you're looking for because uh, sometimes it can it can just ruin that's, conversation. That's real a quick. dead end right yeah, there. Oh, yeah. So yes or no. Yeah, yes um, or no. A who question. Yeah. Th those are dead ends. How, times, how would you start yeah. a question? What are some some good ways to start a question that would not be those bad yeah. dead end questions. Well, you look at the verse, you know, Jesus wept. Okay, we can say, well, who wept? Jesus. Done. What did Jesus do? Well, he wept. Okay, well, you answer that. Well, well why did Jesus weep? Mm -hmm. And so you want to you kind of turn those questions because then they're going to look at the Bible and say, well, because, you know, his friend, Lazarus, he was, he was dead. You know, like, that's why he was weeping. He was sad. Uh, and so you, you want to take those questions now, they, they knew what that meant, like they knew why he was weeping, but a lot of times we just make it, we try to make it real simple, like who was weeping? Why was, you know, what was Jesus doing? So we want to make sure that we ask important questions that get them thinking, uh, not just something that they know automatically. Mm -hmm. That's good. So you've asked good questions at this point. Um, you still get some bad answers. W when are times when you need to stop or redirect conversations? I, I know one thing that's just really easy, if I'm kicking my questions out into groups and I'm waiting for them to process, talk through. When I start seeing 40, 50% of the eyes looking back at me, okay, it's time to move on and kind of collectively answer questions. So that's just one thing. I'll watch the room, watch their eyes, see when they're done. Because the last thing you want is everyone just sitting there waiting for you to, to get going. You need to stop people sometimes because they're going to just keep going. But what are some other times that you need to stop or correct conversation? I think we've all been there. That It's just the chasing the rabbit. Uh, you know, you, you, you start out with such good intentions, you're having a great conversation, and then it just, 
one right turn and you're, you know, miles and miles away from where you were. And so it's just kind of guiding us back. And so you have to be just aware of those because there are a lot of times that I've gone the ra- down the rabbit trail. It's been really good stuff. Uh, but, man, more the times than not, it's just not helpful at all. Yeah. Uh, so we want to make sure that we, you know, if the rabbit hole is going good, hey, let's, you know, let's be sensitive to the spirit and let's let's kind of go down that hole a little bit further. Uh, but if it's just distracting, let's kind of guide them back to, hey, let's get back to the to the text. And um, I think we should just make the text a starting point for everything um, because that's what we ultimately want to bring people back to. Like we're not teaching them not like we're teaching them God's word. And so we always want to bring them back to God's word. You, you ever get the intentional diversion from what you're talking about? Just out of left field, not even chasing a rabbit, like just we're we're not even in the same hemisphere. All the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think one that I love are the three types of love in Greek. Doesn't matter what the topic is, mm-hmm. but sometimes the three types of love <laughs> in Greek would <laughs> pop up, just like an intentional diversion, trying to sabotage the conversation. Um, hey, so what do you do about that? What do you do about someone who either is intentionally <laughs> diverting or they just answer every single question? No one else can answer because this person's got it. What, well, what do you do? Well, with someone who answers a lot, of, you know, that one person who answers everything, I, I've, I've told my teachers, like, hey, call on kids' names. Like, mm-hmm. it's okay. Like, they'll forgive you. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't ask them, you know, the super hard, but, like, just ask them, like, call them out. Like, hey, Ethan, what do you think? Or, like, hey, this is what the Bible says. Tell me, tell me what that means. Uh, and so point, like, point the question to a specific person, because uh, a lot of times I was that kid. Like I answered, I knew, I knew the answers, you and I that wanted. Kid? To, I was that uh, kid. I didn't like that kid. I know I didn't either, but I was him. <laughs> um, and, and so when my youth pastor, all right, Carson, let me, I'm gonna ask someone else. And so uh, it just helped me. It's okay, yeah. like, because then I actually learned from them. I'm like, yeah. well, I didn't see it like that. So generally, you don't say a name because you want everyone to think through before they answer. But you're right. Sometimes if the, the conversation is being sabotaged, you have to redirect. What, what else do you do sometimes when someone is just taking over conversation? You have to – honestly, you just have to be assertive and stop them. Yeah. Uh, if you're asking a question, uh, like going back to that passage I read in Luke – Right, like, and you're talking about that, and someone just gets off on a tangent about the role vipers played at the time in the Old Testament, and how this is a New Testament prophecy revelation, and it just is going off in the left field. What I usually say, okay, oh, hey, 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 that's we're not talking about that right now. Let's let's look back at the text. What I was saying, if you guys remember, is why was he talking to people this way, and why was he, uh, you know, looking at this. In that fashion, why was he using that language? And so, what I like to do with that is, if I ask a question and I get a lot of wrong answers, or I get people taking it a completely different direction, I will ask them, "How did you arrive at that conclusion? Or why do you think that that is true? How did you get that from the text? Show me." And if they can't, it, it's not making them feel stupid. They'll be like, "Well, I'm like, hey, that's okay. Let's think about it another way. Let me rephrase the question. Don't be afraid to rephrase it too. If you're able to stop it, this question was a little confusing and." I, in my opinion, too, if, if anyone's going to jump on their grenade and take a hit for something, I want to be the one mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah. And I don't want to do it at the cost of my student learning. So I'll say, you know what? I, I phrased that poorly. Let me let me try this yeah. again. What is... Oh, I've phrased questions poorly before many times. Uh, just don't think it through fully. And you just have to on the fly kind of rephrase it's a, and, that. But you think it's a home run when you like in your mind and you yeah. ask it and you're like... They don't understand anything that was I dud. just said. Yeah. Who knows what I said? Yeah, That definitely happens. Um, someone that's answering over and over and over again, I've had to pull them aside after class sometimes. Say, hey, really, it'd be best. I appreciate you answering, 
but w- let's let some other people answer so they can process uh, internalized truth. Um, and then I'll call on you. You definitely need to help and contribute, but let's give some other people a chance because they need to stretch and grow. And you know a lot of the answers already, apparently. I might leave that last part out. But uh, <laughs> as, we, as we close things up, though, one tip that you would give for asking good questions, what would it be? One tip for asking good questions. I would say you, you kind of have to know your audience. You have to know um, who who you're talking to. Um, you know, a, a question that I ask a sixth grade boy is going to be profoundly different than what I ask a senior in college or a, or a parent. Uh, and so, make sure you just you know your audience because you want to ask questions that are relevant to them uh, and on their level. Mm-hmm. That's good. How, how about you, Andrea? Have follow-up questions to your original question. Okay. So be intentional about the first question you ask. Make sure it's direct so it doesn't go on to, you know, rabbit chases and all that stuff. But make sure you have follow-up questions. And and then, like you said earlier, to lean into that silence. If you know that mm-hmm. it's going to be maybe a slightly, you know, more personal question, like, wait, wait for it to, you know. Sip that coffee. Sip that coffee. <laughs> yeah. and people will open up if you just sort of lean into that silence and just wait for it. Good. How about you, Ethan? Understand the as much as you can the psychology, like you kind of were saying, Carson, building off of what Andrea is saying. Understand the psychology of your students and where they're at, and understanding what is what would they be thinking if they were reading this passage. What would they be thinking as I'm asking this question? And so, what I try to do is I try to put myself in their shoes. If I had someone ask me this question based off the text, I would assume this. Okay, if that is what I would assume, and I'm trying to guide them in this specific direction, I need to make sure I have those follow-up questions to kind of narrow it down. So you have those broader questions and then you guide the questions to the logic in which you're trying to take the student. I think combining what both y'all said into like one method is going to help. And don't be scared to, to ask them, what questions do you have? Open it back up to them and see, because sometimes I've had very good discussions uh, asking them, hey, what do you guys think? What stood out to you in this passage that you maybe have questions on? And yeah. allow them to ask the questions to you, and it helps you grow as a teacher. Yeah, I, I like what you said, and that's kind of where we started. Ask those broad questions, those attention getters. Um, you may get people to get up and move around. Hey, go find somebody who's wearing blue shoes and you know talk about this together, whatever it is. But vary, <laughs> vary your questions, all right? Differ your approach, mix it up. Uh, start with those broad questions, and and then from there narrow it down. Um, think about this though: a lot of times we get people talking, we start the discussion. Let's pray before our lesson, <laughs> and you have just killed any momentum you have. And I know that's a terrible take right there, but try something different. Get your director to open in prayer. Get people talking with those really broad questions just about the week and then narrow it down. But don't be afraid to try new things. Um, these were great tips that everyone gave and so thankful that Carson and Andrea and Ethan could be here today. Um, we don't get this right all the time, but we get better uh, at asking questions. We learn what questions not to ask and not to embarrass five-year-olds, Carson. <laughs> but uh, we're learning. So I'm a youth minister, not children's minister. Yeah. <laughs> You can embarrass them a little more. Embarrass my son. It's okay, I promise. (laughs) But I hope this is a help to you. Uh, We'll improve together. We'll get better on how we ask questions and how we teach in the future. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We're going to link down to any information we have about this podcast in the show notes, and we'll see you for the next Conversation at Olive.